Hi, this is Alex Roman, Managing Editor for Metro Magazine, and welcome to Metrospectives, a podcast about public transportation, the private motor coach industry, and all things mobility. My guest today is Jessica Mefford-Miller, Executive Director at St. Louis's Metro Transit. Mefford-Miller joins me to discuss the many initiatives going on at our agency, including electric bus program, new on-demand solutions, and the addition of mobile ticketing, as well as how the pandemic has impacted the region. Now, here's my talk with Ms. Mefford-Miller. Well, Jessica, thanks for joining me today. Um, how's everything out in St. Louis? You know, it's a busy time for us here in St. Louis. We've got a lot of exciting programs that we're implementing. And of course, we are also operating through the pandemic. And right now we have just increased our response level to respond to the present situation. Uh, but our team members are out there every day. We're continuing and have continued to provide reliable service to our customers, albeit with some adjustments. Uh, so we are weathering the storm. Yeah, and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, kind of, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what a snapshot is of, of the St. Louis region now and kind of how that compares uh, both kind of pre and, and uh, post uh, the pandemic hitting uh, the region and, you know, of course the country? Sure. So right now we are operating a little under 90% of our pre pandemic service level. The service looks a little bit different than it did before. We've gone through a number of service adjustments since late March, including significant reductions in service when we did not have the workforce available uh, to, perf- to perform our normal service levels. Right now we're doing pretty well with attendance and so we're able to provide that high 80% service. We have refocused service where demand is most existent today. Right now we're carrying about half of our bus customers and about 40% of our pre-pandemic light rail customers, and a little over 80% of our pre-pandemic paratransit customers. Our fixed route service is now more focused on our frequently traveled corridors where we are maintaining service that looks quite a bit like it did pre-pandemic. We've also added selected trips to routes that are serving major employment centers. So think healthcare institutions, hospital complexes, uh, shipping facilities and the like. And we've also done some service substitution where we're no longer operating fixed route service and really continuing a shift that we began in 2019 to introducing mobility on demand uh, to the St. Louis community. Right. And, and I guess uh, real quick, I mean, you said, uh, you know, as far as attendance goes, is it, was attendance down because of, of, of your uh, operators uh, experiencing COVID-19? Yeah, we had a number of reasons, Alex, for operators and other employees who were not able to report for duty. That includes team members who had themselves experienced COVID, who were quarantined because of a potential exposure, caring for a loved one, and also caring for children who were not in school. Last spring, the state of Illinois, which is part of our service area, uh, did have a stay-at-home order in place for a long time. And so Illinois schools were closed and our Missouri schools were closed for a time as well. So a number of different impacts. Of course, COVID is affecting people in different ways. Right. And, you know, you you mentioned some of the mobility on demand and and that sort of thing. And and one of the things in in your uh, bio that that I read, it says, you know, that you take a very measured uh, approach to everything. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you're implementing on-demand services and kind of what that approach has been in seeing um, 
you know, what may work and figuring out, you know, how it, in what kind of regions and areas of, of your, you know, service model, where it will work? Sure. So in fall of 2019, we actually implemented a major redesign of our fixed route bus system called Metro Reimagined. And like many other agencies are doing right now, we increased our focus on frequent service on heavily traveled corridors. We streamlined some of our routes, minimized deviations, and tried to get those frequent routes on 15-minute frequency and those supporting community routes on 30-minute frequency. Now, minimizing those deviations and reallocating that service without adding any operating expense to our budget is difficult. Mm -hmm. Part of that meant that some of our lightly traveled neighborhoods no longer had a fixed route. And so we supplemented the fixed route service first by entering into an agreement with Lyft to provide first mile, last mile service in select markets throughout our service area. We started with just a few and then incrementally kept adding markets to Lyft. And then when we cut service back this past spring, Lyft was one of the tools that we used to provide mobility where there was still demand, but not enough to warrant allocation of our uh, then very scarce fixed route resource. We've been continuing to evolve mobility on demand. We've introduced microtransit this past June. That's a partnership with the microtransit turnkey company VIA. And we started in two different markets and we've recently expanded that. One is a market in a suburban area that includes primarily employment centers like a major hospital and shopping centers. Customers were previously traveling quite a distance on a fixed route from the nearest light rail station to access that community. So we have partnered with VIA. We overlaid VIA service with fixed route for a time. And that fixed route experienced quite a bit of service reduction, by the way, uh, during our lowest post-COVID service levels. And actually, we're preparing for later this month the uh, elimination of that fixed route service, and we'll be entirely serving that community with via microtransit. So that measured approach has been one to see how the community responds, see how customers respond, evaluating the responsiveness of our vendor to ensure that they're able to achieve the wait times that we specified. It's gone well. Another use case that, we're, that we have with VIA is in also a suburban area, uh, but that has very strong demand. And we know that we have a lot of workers traveling to first and from third shift um, jobs within this market. And the fixed route service to keep it open and to keep it running later to accommodate their shifts that end at 12 a.m., 1 a.m. is quite difficult. And so what we've done is we're using VIA from 11 p.m. through 6 a.m. to supplement fixed route over a very broad geography. So that's taking longer to really pick up um, but we've done some targeted campaigns, mailing and advertising to promote that service. Our customer satisfaction for customers using this service is very high. We also did promotional fares at the beginning. It was free. And then we transitioned to a, a $1 fare with VIA. Or I'm sorry, with, um, yeah, with VIA. Right. And that seems to be, um, you know, at this point, it kind of seems to be the best practice for these on-demand transportation programs is, you know, filling uh, filling the need to get to job centers, um, you know, and implementing service where service uh, reductions may need to be felt. Um, are you guys looking at implementing more programs as as you know these 
pilots kind of build steam and, and look to be positive? We are, absolutely. So we're evaluating the performance of our fixed routes and the needs of each of our different communities to try and find those locations where we think that there, is, there are efficiencies to be achieved in terms of the cost effectiveness of the service and whether we can drive down overall travel time. These are our primary goals uh, for service. This is especially important here in the St. Louis region. We cover about 550 square miles of service area with many different types of communities. We've got dense urban markets. We have uh, lower density suburban residential environments and job centers that are increasingly in distant locations. And so we're having to be very creative service and we try to find that right threshold uh, staying certainly below the capacity that uh, would exceed that of VIA and then really trying to reallocate those fixed route resources in our stronger markets and I think that this is will prove to help stabilize our ridership you know pre-pandemic the metro experienced ridership loss for about five years after we implemented that service change in fall of 2019 ridership very quickly stabilized and began to grow. And then, of course, that March happened and we began to lose ridership. But we're staying true to those principles of focusing our resources where they can be most productive and really trying to match the right type of mobility solution to our many different communities. Right. And with everything going on with COVID, as it's you know extended, I was just talking to someone the other day and you know, everyone was preparing for this to be maybe eight, 12 weeks at the most. And, and here we are eight months later. Um, you know, is, is Metro experiencing some, some challenges as far as needing to make additional cuts and, and make kind of additional tweaks to, to your service? Yeah, we're looking out to June of 2021, Alex, to really stabilize the service. And that's the point at which we hope that life will begin to return to normal. Of course, it's going to be a long process and we recognize that. And that service level is going to be lower than it was pre-pandemic because we are experiencing reduced sales tax proceeds, which is a primary source of operating funds, as well as reduced passenger revenue. So through that, again, we're really focusing the frequent service where it can be productive and then utilizing some of these other services that are demonstrating to have a lower cost per passenger to provide. So the introduction of mobility on demand and partnerships is going to be ever more important for us in the future. And while we're on that track, um, um, you know, it, it's, you know, as, as official as it could be that we, we have a, a new president and, and there'll be a new Congress. Um, not sure what the constitution of that Congress will be yet. Um, but, you know, do you feel that that um, will be positive news for transit as it, as it looks to a reauthorization bill and, and possibly more emergency funding um, as part of some, some stimulus package that may come out? We're optimistic, Alex. And of course, Metro is working with APTA as well as our own lobbyists to make the case for additional funds for transit, both via an emergency operation, uh, emergency authorization that would help us continue things like our capital programs, but most importantly, allow us to sustain service as we weather this. We know that our passenger revenue will eventually rebound, as will our sales tax proceeds, uh, but it's going to take longer than June in order to get there. Now, we're using a very measured approach here at Metro to allocate our CARES funding, and we're hoping that CARES will move us well beyond June 
and trying to reduce our service level and reduce our operating expenses through a number of different programs going on right now so that we can sustain the pandemic and its lasting effects and be here to provide mobility as the threat wanes. And we were talking just a bit offline before we started here and, and you were kind of mentioning that, you know, your business is in full swing and, and there is a lot going on with St. Louis. I know you guys have uh, either just implemented a lot of new programs or are in the process of implementing them. Um, you know, so I wanted to talk about a couple and, and start with the mobile ticketing. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and you know, how that's really paid, paid off for you guys at this point? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So we've been in the process for about a year now of preparing for the redesign of our fare collection system. And then when the pandemic began, we very quickly suspended fare collection aboard our Metro bus system uh, because of the contact required between our operators and customers. Pre-COVID, the operators actually handed paper transfers to customers, and that's just untenable in our current environment. And so we very quickly issued an RFP and began a relationship with Masabi back in June for mobile ticketing. We, and we already had a couple of mobile ticketing pilots that we were able to learn from. So this process moved pretty fast. And so with Masabi, we're able to allow customers to avoid the fare box. At that same time, we went back uh, to front door boarding and resumed fare collection. We had been rear door boarding and no fare collection for a little while. And so customers can now purchase their fare with their mobile ticket, and they can also get a transfer. And we're really focused on trying to use technology and introduce new options for customers, especially those who are making multi-vehicle trips uh, and multimodal trips, so they can use a single platform uh, to have contactless fare payment moving forward. So that Masabi program is a limited mobile ticket. And this year, we're going to issue an RFP for the next generation of fare collection technology, beginning with electronic fairing. So that will include a um, more robust mobile option as well as a card-based option. So we're very excited about that. And I think one of the things that we are learning through COVID is just how nimble we can be when we commit to an objective and really focus our procurement and our design around that. And some of the relationships that we're having with vendors now with mobile ticketing, as well as mobility on demand, those opportunities didn't exist in the marketplace five years ago the way they do today. So we're really focusing on what Metro can deliver, what we do well, and then we're partnering with other firms uh, to fill in those margins. Right. And it seems as if, um, you know, coming out of this, uh, technology is going to play, a, a, I mean, it was already playing a role um, but now I feel like it's, it's being accelerated in transit agencies. Um, would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, we are integrating not just our fare collection, but our um, trip planning and trip booking. We're moving toward a single platform that fare collection mobile pilot that we've got with Masabi. We required all responsive vendors to partner with Transit app, which is our, our preferred trip planning app. Mm-hmm. And we have several respondents that we're ready to do that. And we were able to stand that program up, by the way in about three weeks time. Now looking ahead, we'll want customers to be able to plan, book and pay for their trip using a single platform. We aim to reduce any barriers that exist to using transit that we can. This is gonna be especially critical as agencies like ours are vying for market share and trying to bring customers back to their system. You know, another program uh, you guys have started to implement is your electric bus program. and, and- you know, being out here in California, it's it's a, a huge, uh, you know, 
mandate and, and people are really working hard to get to that point. Um, can you talk a little bit about your electric bus program and, and kind of the, you know, the impetus for, for taking it on? Absolutely. So here in the Midwest, we don't have some of the same mandates that California and some other cities have and states. And so our, we are guided by a few objectives. And we've been looking at electric bus, by the way, for about 10 years now, we've tested different vehicles and technology. So we aim to deliver a greener, more environmentally efficient mobility solution for our region. But we also need to drive down our operating expenses. That's a big priority for St. Louis, as it is many other cities. And so we were looking for technology that allowed us to operate the great range that we do every day. Most of our buses are traveling about 250 miles in their daily duty cycle, which is pretty large uh, compared to our peers. We did not want to sacrifice our reliability. We're very proud of the Metro Transit's vehicle fleet reliability. Our buses right now are traveling about 30,000 miles between failures. That's an industry leading standard. And we wanna hold tight to that. So we needed technology that could handle that duty cycle and that could be attainable within our capital and our operating resources. So we've worked with different vendors. We actually entered into a partnership with Gillig USA we're going to be deploying their first battery electric vehicles in early 2021. We also have a partnership with New Flyer. We've already begun receiving their battery electric 60 foot vehicles. Um, so there were multiple facets to the program. Number one, we needed additional capital resources to help offset the expenses of developing the infrastructure. And then that marginal cost between the purchase price of a diesel versus battery electric vehicle. So we have one. Um, three different low no or lower no uh, emissions vehicle. And that's helped us offset that cost. We also have a partnership with our electric power supplier, Ameren, Missouri. And Ameren, Missouri has invested $1 million in infrastructure at our first battery electric operating facility. We also worked with Ameren to actually develop the infrastructure outside of our facility necessary, not just to power these first few deliveries of electric buses, but to power a much larger battery electric subfleet. We actually sold some of our property adjacent to one of our bus garages to Ameren. They have since built a substation on that location, and that's going to power the Metro battery electric fleet at that facility, as well as provide for additional power supply and some redundancy in the communities around us. We found battery electric technology with Gillig that we think we'll be able to use on most of our routes. And then with New Flyer for our 60-foot buses that are going to travel, by the way, on our busiest urban route, we're actually establishing uh, inductive charging infrastructure at one of our transit centers. So those buses are going to lay over at the end of the line, get a little bit of a charge, and then they'll re fully recharge at the depot at night. Right. One of the things we're most excited about is the lower operating cost per mile for battery electric versus diesel. So in the long term, and our life cycle for these buses is about 15 years, we anticipate saving about $500,000 per vehicle in operating expense. Wow. So that's a great return to the community on their transit investment. And, and so you, does Metro at this point see it as, as the wave of the future, or are you just kind of getting started and, and seeing what may play out? We think it is a wave of the future. That, in addition to using smaller vehicles, in other markets that today are gasoline or diesel. We also anticipate exploring 
um, hydrogen fuel cell technology in the future. But we definitely do intend to shift away from diesel larger buses. And I think you've been you've been with Metro about three years. Is that correct? I have been with Metro for fourteen years, and oh. I'm our executive director uh, since 2018. Okay. Yeah. And, and I've noticed, um, sorry about that. I forgot your, your previous experience with the agency as well. Um, I've noticed that you've really put a focus on improving the customer experience. And, and that kind of starts with the mobile ticketing and electric buses play into that, but also, um, you know, kind of the increased um, uh, police presence and, and body cameras and, um, you know, kind of training videos, of, you know, kind of how to act on the transit system. Can you talk a little bit about those programs and you know how they're paying off in a, in a better passenger experience for your customers? Absolutely. So those programs are all under the umbrella of what I call the rider-centric revolution that we launched when I took on the executive director role back in 2018. And the idea is to focus all of our operating and capital programs and decision-making around the customer experience at our core. So we're doing a great deal of communicating with our customers and stakeholders about their needs and preferences, as well as our performance. So the Metro Reimagined Service Redesign of 2019 was part of that. It was trying to deliver service that would ultimately be faster and more efficient for our customers. We have also created a series of capital programs. Those include expansion projects, as well as enhancement and even maintenance projects. We have a light rail system that is now 27 years old uh, within our original segments. And so we are beginning to redesign and rebuild those stations, really focusing more on connecting to the communities around us and creating vibrant and accessible places around the transit system with an, a special focus on safety and security. You know, the world is a different place than when our original light rail system was designed back in the late 1980s. And we have to be responsive to that. So mm -hmm. we have done a major overhaul of our safety and security efforts We've created a new team that is really focused on mitigating any potential security or safety threats on the system. We're using our Metro team members to do what we do best, and that is being ambassadors of the system, being out riding our buses and trains with our customers every day. We're contracting at a higher level than in the past with law enforcement officers in the jurisdictions that we serve. We rolled out a new security subcontract this past year that's focused more on security as well as a concierge type service. We are a more civilian, if you will, security program than we had been in the past and really intended to provide presence and reassurance. One of the things our transit security specialists, that's our in-house security team that they have, is body cameras. So that's one piece of technology that we've adopted alongside our local law enforcement partners to ensure that we're holding ourselves accountable uh, for the service we provide and our performance. And we know that, especially now with increased tensions between law enforcement and some of the communities we serve, we have to be transparent. We have to be viewed as safe and accessible. And so we're using not just relationships, but also uh, communication and technology to help get us there. The um, technology solutions I mentioned with respect to trip planning and payment are a big part of that. We know that for us as a transit agency, part of our, our operating funds need to come from passenger revenue, but we're trying to shift our revenue program to focus not just exclusively on getting the revenue, 
but on doing so in a way that uh, detracts as little as possible from the accessibility of our system. So it's not just technology, uh, but we will in 2021 overhaul our fair structure, the available uh, fair media and passes that we have, as well as our pricing. I'm curious. Um, I don't think I've asked anybody this in, in my conversations, but from a security, safety and security perspective, um, you know, how are things on, on the system now? And, and, and have you experienced any kind of new issues with the pandemic, um, you know, that maybe, maybe didn't exist uh, before? Sure. You know, I think like most large urban systems like metros, especially when we had uh, fair free boarding back in the spring into the summer, we had challenges on our bus system. Now, Metrolink, our light rail system, uh, still required fare is a proof of payment system. So we had some challenges across the bus system. Uh, but in our community, people are increasingly grappling with challenges like homelessness and substance abuse that does spill over onto transit systems occasionally as we are a public space. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things that we're working on to address that. And some of these challenges were present before, though not to the, the degree they are today. Number one is we will soon start providing our employees with trauma-informed training and de-escalation training. And then number two, we are beginning to contract with partners to provide what we call street-level outreach and de-escalation across the system. They will be there to um, prevent situations from rising to a crisis level and also to connect people who are using our system with the resources they need uh, when they're struggling with issues like homelessness or substance abuse. So we know we, it's not enough just to keep those challenges off our system because they will inevitably spill over. So we're trying to invite our partners onto our system to help these customers where they're at. Well, that's great. Thanks for joining me again. I really appreciate it. Um, I think maybe the last thing I have for you is, is kind of looking ahead, um, you know, hopefully post-pandemic soon. Um, you know, how do you think that that's going to change um, the way operations work for St. Louis Metro and, and transit in general? You know, for Metro and for transit, Alex, I think the pandemic has forced us to reset how we provide service, how we operate. We, like many systems, are in the process of trying to reduce our workforce. We have an early retirement program that's going on right now. We anticipate repopulating our team with a little bit different skill sets. We're going to have to be leaner so that we can sustain our budget, but we have to be more customer focused and efficient if we're able to survive. And I'm optimistic that we will. The future is challenging, but it is very exciting time for the industry. Well, Jessica, again, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate our conversation. It's my pleasure, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Metrospectives, a podcast from Metro Magazine. Be sure to check out all the latest industry news at metromagazine.com or follow us on Twitter at MetroMagTweet.